Do you guys remember that Seinfeld episode when George gets fired for using his manager's washroom? It's almost as if it's so bizarre. It's almost as if it's abnormal. Welcome to Sipping Socrates, where we have a warm Socratic discussion over a cup of coffee. We are Manan and Parv, and today is March 12th. We will be talking about what's normal. Okay, so I personally haven't watched that Seinfeld episode, but it almost seems to me as if that is irrational behavior. Like, why, how would you quit just because your manager didn't let you use his or her washroom? Yeah, like, washroom is so small a deal in the grand scheme of working and sharing a workspace. It's uh, it's very irrational. <laughs> and there have been so many examples of just pop culture references just being made and oftentimes we find people doing abnormal things even funny right like if someone um i don't know embarrasses themselves by walking out on the street with uh you know just their underwear on and so that is something that we don't get to see on a daily basis but that sort of encourages us to think well who created these rules who created these uh norms per se and how did they even come to be, right? So um, the earliest sort of understanding of what a norm is comes from, interestingly, your ability to create perpendicular angles when you're carpenting. And so that was what happened with... um, uh, That is what happened with uh, normal, right? So they came to know what normal is Um, And it was sort of this term coined by a carpenter who was trying to create typical, straight, perfect, ideal 90 degree angles um, because his his work sort of warranted to. And so it it comes from the Latin word uh, like that meant perpendicular at right angles. And so even though that is geometry and things are pretty objective in geometry and, you know, there are rules and there are angles and there are as we all sort of know it, the demented trigonometric identities. Um, That is more so an objective thing. But then we sort of use this ideology uh, in social situations and, you know, it has cultural implications all over the world. And most of our behavior is dictated by what we deem to be normal. So this carpenter, when he tried to create this perfect perpendicular angle, I'm sure there was some error to it. Uh, if you guys know, then in today's world, we define, uh, we used to define a kilogram as from a reference weight. And this reference weight used to be kept in, kept in Paris in the Louvre Museum. And replicas of this kilogram were made and distributed across the world so that the system is quote unquote normalized so that everywhere in the world, a kilogram is a kilogram. Well, years later, all of these replicas were brought together to be compared with each other. Turns out that they, their weights were deviating. So all of us have come up with the definition of normal through something, referencing through something. However, everything that we make around them in reality is never even close to the normal that we refer to. That's an interesting point you bring up, Parv, because... Uh, in my reading, it the first time normal was used outside this perpendicular geometrical context that we were talking about, it was when there was this Belgian astronomer for some reason uh, called Adolphe Quatelet. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, by the way. But um, what he tried to do is he tried to understand or look into what is a, a normal human being. Right. And that is, like you said, it's a difficult question to answer because you have so many deviations from what normal is. And that's exactly what he found out. So he collected a large group of people and he wanted to compare the anatomy of and like just in general, the body structure of these large number of men uh, and women. So he wanted to what he found was that after examining so many number of participants who volunteered to be a part of his study that he sort of he was this one weird guy who used to really like statistics. And so he 
he measured each part of their body and he compared it to the rest and he found that there's this bell curve right now and that's commonly referred to now as the normal distribution curve but ironically he found that the average man according to the you know measurements that he observed and recorded is not perfect so his proposition was he found out that the av- the most average man is impossible to for for them to be perfect and so um then we sort of come across this question is like what's the point of finding the normal if we are meant to strive to be out like better than the normal right like what's the if there is no such reference that is abstract then how do we know what is normal and if that's even like a fruitful conversation to have that is true we have been trying to come up with a anatomically normal body what is a normal human and what is a ab normal human so years ago norma and her male counterpart norman were statues modeled by gynecologist robert dickinson and the sculptor abraham belsky uh and these statues were supposed to be an average american men and women well after these statues were made 4000 women performed in a competition of resembling norma guess what neither one of those 4000 women were very could have been clo- closely related with the statue so even though we came up with the definition of the normal even though we have this idea of what's normal and even though we think that normal is average and average comes up from the population no one in this population is representing the average or representing the normal so let's switch gears and try to identify the word normal the word norms the word normality what what do they entail what do they mean and what how can we understand them better so uh there's this book called normal now from mark g e kelly and i read this wonderful uh, paragraph which tries to describe uh norms and let me read it out for you as well as our listeners normalization consists first of all in positioning a model an optimal model that is constructed in terms of a certain result and the operation of normalization consists in trying to get people movements and actions to conform to this model the normal being precisely that which can conform to this norm and the abnormal that which is incapable of conforming to the norm in other words it is not the normal and the abnormal that is fundamental and primary in normalization it is the norm that is there is originally prescriptive character of the norm and the determination and the identification of the normal and the abnormal becomes possible only in relation to this positioned norm so manan i am always excited to get your uh, your thoughts on things so what did you think so if i understood that correctly what the author is trying to tell us is that it is not the importance or significance of where each data point lies in comparison to other data points but it is more important that we focus on the what that what the general trend of every data point sort of shows us and terms as uh being part of the quote unquote norm in the quantitative sense and that it is not important that we focus on each data point and where it lies but more so that that data point signifies the norm itself that is true furthermore in the book uh, he goes on describing that conforming to this model this model which has norms makes someone normal so in the attempt to deem themselves normal people are falling prey to conformity and somewhere this is this is killing individualism because as soon as you don't conform you are deemed abnormal which is killing uniqueness and creativity in people 
also in the definition the author mentions that the abnormal is only present in relation to the normal in relation to the norm there is no abnormalness if there is no norm yeah and so that is an interesting point to bring up because we have seen this in society now it's like everyone is trying to subconsciously be accepted in part of society and one way or the well the easiest way we can do that is by following the norm right yet there's been so much discussion about trying to be unique trying to be different to other people trying to stand out i think a a very difficult question to answer when it comes to well is being normal helpful to society or is being abnormal more critical or vital in society's progression because on one side like you said being abnormal brings upon a side of you know we are going to try and challenge thinking we are going to try and um devote ourselves to uh challenging viewpoints that we know and you know in, during scientific discovery we have identified that we have identified that whenever there are scientists who are trying to challenge thinking or trying to think differently about the same topic we have almost always found out something new um but also being norm trying to contribute to society you know in economic ways requires you to be consistent with who you are what you've learned and follow the what so the so called norms because those norms are proven to have um you know some sort of impact so for example if you go and exercise every day for 30 minutes um the norm is that you know it will it, it has been shown to reduce risk of cardiovascular health for example so i guess this comes th- this comes with a sort of culture that you've brought up that you're brought up in right and so Parv, tell me about how cultures affect what we think of norms. Yes, so norms and society is a is a vast conversation that we can have. There is so much to discuss, and a lot of the norms um, are so skewed in some ways. But I identify that there is two types of cultures in the society: one being constructive, and one being open. by constructive norms i mean that these societies who have these constructive norms and constructive cultures they are not very accepting of people that don't follow the norm they exile out these people uh with a aggression almost when when whenever these norms are not followed these society starts to condemn those behavior and take action on it so these societies are not very accepting of new things and new people or people with newer thoughts almost uh, and then this other society is more open more open to let people be what whatever they discover themselves to be accepting people with open arms let them enjoy who they are and enjoy their lives the way they want now this seems to be a pro for being in an open culture generally speaking economies like america uh you at the western world are sort of this bound to this open culture and uh more eastern countries like china japan india they have little more constructive norms however these constructive norm the countries that follow these constructive cultures and constructive norms they are also reporting less crime less civil distress and uh, however on the contrary these open cultured countries have little more crime little more conflicting opinions between people which which leads into riots and civil unrest so there are pros and cons to each side of the table so perhaps we can somehow combine this openness and acceptingness of people let's accept everyone for who they are and who they whatever they belong with but the fundamental problem is that the more types of cultures and norms and people that you have the more types of opinions and views and ideas there are 
they will they are bound to conflict with each other they are bound to argue with each other and hence why there is more unrest in what is right and what is wrong because in this open culture one person believes in something and the other believes in something else however people don't think that they can exist together they uh, people think that these are mutually exclusive decisions which they're not and that is my take on these two type of cultures and two types of societies yeah i think there are a couple of really uh, interesting points that you covered but i think one that was most striking to me was that you said people lie on two ends of a very very big spectrum and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way um and so we'll get to that a bit later when we talk about uh w- you know how we can use ideologies from both of these spectrum to create a more centrist sort of um uh ideology when we're looking at norms and whether we should believe in them but um i think this sort of reminds me of this concept of eugenics um eugenics for people who don't know is a fringe set of beliefs and practices that aim to improve the genetic equality of a human population and this ideology was uh, vastly adopted by uh people you know way back into the late 18th 19th century um and so the idea essentially was that we want to create a the most normal the most perfect sort of population that exists and so uh what they proceeded to do was they started singling out people who were deemed as deviant from the normal population so i'm talking about the misfits the people who had physical abnormalities uh genetic disorders um autism and just in general uh people who are considered sort of different to other people uh and so what they try to do is they try to use what they knew about genetics and you know selective breeding um to drive this gene pool out uh, of existence uh, and so they thought that they were doing it for the greater good um because you know, we we know that the community doesn't benefit from individuals who are um who are not as able as normal people are and so they thought that this would be something that would drive us in the right direction now because of the ethical standards that we have developed and because we have grown to realize that everyone has a part to play in society that we consider this practice unethical um and so this sort of just makes makes me think about how norms have changed and evolved over time but also how our understanding and how our perception of norms to do good for society has changed uh, before it used to involve radical ideas and you know practices like the one that i just described in eugenics and those used to be okay but now we're starting to be more accepting more understanding of others and necessarily i don't know if this has made a a, a better change in society but it is definitely a, a step forward in how we think about uh or how we reject the notion of being normal and you know what's funny is part of that eugenics to some extent is coming back right and what i mean by that is people are developing crispr gene editing technology and for people who don't know what crispr gene editing technology is it's using uh genetic engineering and the use of you know different types of viruses and uh, genes that can be isolated and then um incorporated into different organisms that can be used as vectors uh, or sort of um transportation vehicles uh to incorporate some amount of inherent gene change or genetic change in our body and people are now defending this crispr technology saying that you know we can now create designer babies right so designer babies as in <laughs> uh babies that can be um quote unquote and this is we're still far away from you know the foolproof technology but ideally babies that can have similar physical character- characteristics to as you what you desire so on one hand you have you know like hundreds of years ago you have this idea of that we need to like drive our population that you know is not beneficial to society and now we are literally doing the same thing where i know crispr has other like benefits that can 
help people live better lives and you know cure them of diseases that can otherwise never be cured but we're doing the same thing where we're trying to bring back desirability uh, of certain characteristics in society that's i'm still trying to wrap my ha- head around the term designer babies it's it's so funny yeah uh, how we want designer shoes designer bag designer baby check 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 yeah. <laughs> um so like you said this this removes the individuality out of society right this this allows uh while we are you know talking about uh pe- more being more accepting this does exactly the opposite and the funny part is that we expect all people in the population to be a certain way but we are also striving towards perfectionism at the same time how do you think that creates a conflict in how you go about doing things it's a it's a major conflict because as society we have come to terms that what's average slash normal is good everything with a positive sta- deviation from the average meaning if the average height is 555 then everything above and till 55 is good but everything below it is somehow negative if so isn't this kind of hypocritic as if we are accepting everything with open arms of whatever is positive however we want to eradicate whatever is attached or deemed negative so how are, how do we strive to get accepting as a society if we're constantly trying to remove the negative part of the society away yeah and i think uh the reason for that is people are now understanding that somehow being better is being better than normal is always better for society and like to some extent i feel like what part of us believes that if you do something that is out of the ordinary that maybe we are trying to up, like upgrade our skill sets so much that for example because of the tech tech industry now everyone's like focusing on technical skills and like stuff like that right i often think about before the norm used to be being in agriculture and farming and all these primary industries like fishing to gather food and if we'd be able to do that still uh now that we are all trying to achieve or look for something better and bigger in life uh, i mean that at some point you would need primary industry workers to be able to contribute to secondary and tertiary and then quaternary at some point you can't really function as a society without being ordinary yeah and most if not all of the people that we as society normally call great or revolutionary were defined as abnormal at the time so is abnormality quote and quote a thing that we desire or we resent is abnormality leading to good in the society or is it leading to a difference in idea that is that those are constantly quarreling with each other and getting nowhere i think uh, it depends right like like all big questions i think when it comes to social implications of being abnormal we are facing them you know people are getting bullied in school because they are considered abnormal or different to others um even something i mean their entire like show is built on the fact that people are different like the stranger things on netflix is all about things that are abnormal and like how they are perceived by society i mean even though it's a sci-fi show and it, it's more about the supernatural we are starting to realize that there are kids who are getting bullied in school for being different there are uh people who are being uh, treated differently online and offline in the real world because they are doing things that are never seen before but if channeled properly parv i believe that abnormality can actually uh catalyze our desire or our progress and in innovation for example your ability to look at the same things in different ways and apply them and most importantly harness this ability to look at the same things from different perspectives that actually trigger uh, innovation and cause progress uh, which is obviously a good thing for society yeah let me continue the 
TV show theme and talk about Sheldon. Right. Sheldon Cooper, young Sheldon always bullied in high school. We've seen that in the show. Sci-fi, no. Is it real? Can it be real? Yes. There might as well be a Sheldon out there in the real world. Uh and bullied quote unquote abnormal but grows up to win the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Be a cutting edge researcher. And uh, the idea of having different perspectives at all time. Uh, recently, I was listening to this other podcast, except for uh, Sipping Socrates that I follow. It's called uh, Philosophize This. And um, the host did a series on uh, on Simone, Simone Weil, uh, I believe. Simone Weil, Simone Weil. And um, he, uh, the host is very moved by her philosophy. And one of, her, one of the building blocks of her philosophy is that at any given time of any experience, you have another perspective, another experience is waiting for you. So while you are at an event, you have a thousand different ways you can experience it. And the way you experience it is by how you and what you focus your mind to. That's an interesting perspective because I was just about to bring up David Goggins here for a second. Uh, for people who don't know, David Goggins is has risen to popularity because of his uh, I- intense change and transformation. Um, you know, he was 300 pounds and at some point he wanted to uh, train to be a Navy SEAL. He's now an ultra marathon runner. Uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the few black Americans who has actually, you know, made it to the Navy SEAL made it through the Navy SEAL regime and is now a Navy SEAL. And, you know, he talks about how the human potential is limitless and how you can always push yourself to be better. And yet somehow he's considered extremely abnormal. I mean, this guy has run 200 mile marathons, um, you know, and more. He's a, he is, I mean, he's the epitome of, you know, mastering and harnessing the mind's potential. And so, He's not necessarily an outcast. We are celebrating his achievements, but he's still considered someone that is not normal because now we have considered normal behavior to be uh, chilling out and drinking with your friends on the weekend and, you know, just, um, you know, opening a can of beer and, you know, just watching TV all day long. And so with evolution of time, we're seeing change in activity. We're seeing change in mindset. And so uh, to some extent, we, we, we now there's this huge phenomenon which is like just looking down upon conservative and traditional beliefs. And I think he brings masculinity back. Um, and by masculinity, I don't mean that, you know, the controversial, oh, all men have to be strong. But yeah, to some extent, I do think that is true. Um, but uh, the point is, we should not be looking down upon the word ordinary because there is a reason why there are some things that are the way that they are for a long period of time. If you, you know, even like notions of a traditional relationship, for example, where you get married and, you know, there's stability and security, uh, hopefully for quite some time. And now we've completely changed that to hook, uh, hook, uh, hook up cultures and colleges, you know. Um, so there is, there is a reason why ordinary exists. And I think, we should give credit where it's due. Manal, let me run you through a, through a theory that I have. There is a inherent problem with the idea of normalization and normal. The thing is, when we come to normal and normalness, we have the entire population. The population being 8 billion people. So in order to project everything to this vast population that we have, we have come to averages that are skewed in a huge sense. Because we have people from, as you said, one side, one extreme side of the spectrum to the other extreme side of the spectrum. So the inherent problem with normalization is that the averages are skewed. Let me give you an example body mass index you are by you are deemed to be underweight okay weighted and overweight on two metrics of your body one being your height the second being your weight 
and this is supposed to tell everyone in the population of 8 billion people if your weight is pro proper according to the given height however this bmi does not incorporate uh, bone density muscle density body fat percentages so what i am trying to say here is that normal is different for a group of people but a select group of people not for the population instead of having a normal for a population let's have normal for a subset of the population for a group of people which which can be classified as a population of their own so instead of following the normal distribution i want you to follow a t distribution for listeners who want uh, a little statistical background on this t distribution is basically a normal distribution but with a population size of uh, less than 30 and uh, and the tails are a bit fatter than a normal distribution so uh, the probability of having a outlier is higher so why not we come up with a population that bmi actually works with and then let's come up with a population that works with something else let's come up with a population that works with something else so there is a inherent flaw in the concept of normalization that con that concept the because the businesses that are flourishing right now let's think about them what do they do they give customized solutions to the specific needs of their customers the problem is the normal can't be customized because it is supposed to be normal i'm always uh, very excited to listen to your thoughts so yeah so you, what you're saying is there's a there's a paradoxical relationship between us trying to determine the characteristics or the qualities that we are looking for and the fact that the normal does not represent that very well yes for an for a normal in a population so large p can never be less than alpha yeah and so thanks for bringing in the quantitative side of things and like always i think parv <laughs> you, you you always bring the logical the more quantitative side of things and i try to think abstractly and think about the qualitative factors of things when i argue that actually norms are created um because of things that we don't fully understand yet i mean i mean we all know that humans are irrational humans don't really have great reasoning when it comes to their behavior or why they choose to do something or why they choose to take action and so for example um i would like to take you back to a book that i read in high school and it's one of my favorite books uh it's originally written by uh albert camus uh and he's a french sort of philosopher existentialist um i think there's quite an argument to be had with what he actually believes in and whether he's considered existential or nihilist but um there was this book where in the opening chapter uh the protagonist uh he attends his mother's funeral uh, only because you know he feels like he has to and he treats it almost like a a routinely thing that people do and we know that talking about death and abnormal topics uh well abnormal as in taboo topics uh is you know it it's very culturally uh driven it's very culturally powered it's um it's something like death is not easily talked about in certain cultures i know in asian cultures we don't talk about money but in the first chapter he does not really feel remorse or he does not really mourn his mother's death and so while we have cultures all around the world that in different shapes and forms talk about or deal with death differently you know there are cultures uh, where you sort of um you show up to someone's funeral you're wearing black and you're mourning someone's death and then there are cultures uh, you know where the body is burned and you know it's just overall a a feeling of sadness throughout right and so my question or something that i really find interesting is what well, do we know enough about death to explore it or do we know enough death to normalize what we should be feeling then um at the risk of sounding insensitive uh i i think it's interesting to explore why people mourn death i mean we don't know much enough about it like i said before but also do you think that comes from a a source of okay this person has has existed so so long in my life and i've shared a lot of memories and moments with that person but there's this idea of you know being finite 
you know life being finite that sort of makes us somehow feel depressed like almost as if we are too attached to life to let go of it speaking from a stoic perspective i am big on stoicism i've been trying to learn more from it trying to learn the history origin and read about stoicism there is a there is a anecdote in which uh, a person dies and people from the village go to go to his parent uh, his father and tells the father that oh my god your son just died and very calmly the philosopher responds to the villagers saying and i quote i knew that my son was mortal so this is kind of a stoic take on the concept of death well it is very normal to mourn a person's death but on the contrary is it abnormal to celebrate the happy life that they enjoyed am i abnormal for being glad that someone who was close to me took birth had a good life a peaceful life made something out of their life did all this for their loved ones provided for their loved ones and enjoyed their old days with their partner and children and finally passed away in peace knowing that their loved ones are taken care of with what's left of them am i abnormal to do that i think absolutely not and the thing with all of these topics that are considered taboo is that we don't really discuss them why do we not know that why do we not do that i have no idea because personally i think the more we talk about these things well it might come off as insensitive but the more we talk about this the more questions we ask the more we learn about these topics the more we acquaint ourselves with the idea and the more the person dealing with this can tell about their perspective and this way eventually we don't see them as different because suddenly after this questioning round and conversation we have aligned our thoughts on this topic that was considered taboo so maybe this in, maybe these insensitive quote and quote insensitive questions need to be raised yeah and i just thought of a thought experiment for uh just on the spot really quickly the test for whether you are comfortable being abnormal or not is whether you are comfortable doing the things that you are doing with or without an audience and so what i mean by that is do you think that you would still continue doing the things that you would do in a in a in a space w- with yourself that you would do in a space that's like shared publicly by everyone and so the consequences of you being you know portrayed as abnormal or deemed as abnormal comes with a social sense that you won't be accepted in society anymore and i think that is why uh, people are afraid to you know talk about taboo topics um that is primarily why we don't talk about sexual health we don't talk about uh, lgbtqia communities in like asian cultures we don't talk about all sorts of money related topics and financial transparency with your parents so these these topics are taboo and they're hugely culturally driven um because of history and you know traditional values but also would you risk not being accepted by society just because you want to be authentic and true to yourself and i think as we deviate i mean not deviate but as we progress towards you know having a conversation whether you would risk it are there any like personal stories that you'd like to share uh, about norms is always one and i would like you to begin <laughs> um so there was this there was so let's talk about cheating a little bit right <laughs> i think i think we all to some extent have been in some way or shape or form involved in cheating whether that's you know just on exams uh yeah i was that was about to be a question now we're talking about cheating in exams or in relationships or some other well, cheating in general right so we know that ethical norms have changed throughout time we've talked about that in this podcast as well but outside of it as well like we've talked about eugenics etc etc but um 
there are rules that were created in society by some people, uh, some noblemen in ancient Greece for Greeks, for example, or like just in general, the founding fathers of a country. Um, so that has shaped uh, the views and beliefs and the uh, the nature of what the country believes in as, you know, to sort of create society. Uh, and so we need this law and order for society to progress, or at least that's what they say. Um, but, you know, when it comes to a very micro scale, you know, your school, the way your exams are taking place, there are assignments, there's academic plagiarism now involved as well. But uh, even something as simple as every time you stream a movie from an illegal site, uh, in some shape or form, we have all sort of dealt with or been a part of some kind of cheating, whether it's cheating society, cheating yourself, cheating institutions, cheating, um, you know, just out of law and order, quote unquote. And so one thing that, that I find really interesting is because we have all been a part of it, well, some of us so, sort of feel guilty for it, some of us don't depending on, you know, what type of, where our moral compass lies, right? One thing I always find interesting is it's still always just so looked down upon. So this is one of the rare few cases where the normal is not being accepted. For example, it is normal for someone to, um, you know, want to ask for help during an exam. It's a high pressure pressure situation. Uh, it's, it's something that, you, you know, it's it's like so hard hardwired in us to like by society to like not you know ask for help or like not like you just focus on your own work right etc cetera, etc cetera. but yet somehow the urge to refer to resources or you know just ask for someone else for help always exists the point being it's a normal way to feel a certain way during these situations where it's so easy to just roll down a hill and take the quote unquote wrong way out right but it's something that's never talked about. So my, my issue is, okay, well, if, if a student has been caught cheating, right? If a, a student has been caught cheating, should you talk to him about, well, don't do this again. It's bad for society. And, you know, it's, it's not something that you should. It, it doesn't make you, um, it, doesn't, it shows that you don't have integrity. It shows that you don't have a, a you know, a proper sort of moral compass. But shouldn't you be addressing why he cheated in the first place? Point is, if you are feeling like you're abnormal, if you're feeling like you're a misfit, if you if you know, if you feel like you don't belong somewhere, a conversation needs to be had about why instead of just shutting it out and forcing you to follow the norm. And that's what the the, the thing about rebellious people is what people don't understand is they're rebellious not because of the things that have happened to them but because they have never been addressed. There has been no sort of uh, perception or insightfulness from other people or, you know, just uh, other beings in society that understand, not justify, but understand why this has happened and where this is coming from. So you're saying the norm as a student is to cheat and the abnormal in this example is to not cheat because let's face it majority cheats at least in a college situation i think i think a lot of people do cheat but i think more than what we, like more than classifying one activity as normal and the other as abnormal it's the idea that cheating according to the rules ha is has been normalized and that's why it's the rules but the desire to cheat the desire to be successful the desire to uh, somehow just get your way out of, you know, a troubled or an unprepared situation is not addressed as it should. Okay. My, I was thinking about, thinking about this while you were speaking and I, I thought that in, uh, at least in the college, professors are progressing from this idea of exam fr from what it was and I think what it was, was to test if you know the material. And now it is becoming for some of my classes that I'm taking to, well, we taught you some material. I want you to remember it. So remember it, come and you'll get a perfect score. The professors don't 
and I quote one of my professors. They mentioned in class that I don't want to hurt your GPA. I don't. I'm not here to put down your GPA, give you Bs and Cs. Well, you're my students. I want to see you shine. All I want is for you to know what's being taught in class. So as long as you know the homeworks, as long as you know the practice exam, you know what's on the exam because it's this exact same question. By exact same, I don't mean like literally exact same to the word, but the concept being the exact same, you'd need to apply the same formulas, the same idea, just on a different company with different numbers. So, so long as you know this, you'll do it, which is not testing the material. That is just learning the material exam has become a way for professors to force their students in a way to go back two, three weeks and redo all the material that they just saw. And that is a progression that I like and I enjoy in some of the classes. It forces me to learn and not forces me to remember. Yeah. And that's a great example of now how we're using like evolution of time to rediscover and redefine what norm is, which by the way, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that I felt like is like this constant reconfiguration of what not the norm is due to evolution is more important than the norm itself and the practice that we believe in because the more we sort of reflect the more we sort of reevaluate the more we find like you said best of both worlds where we uh don't risk being abnormal as a deficiency or deterior like a declining society but use abnormal abnorm uh, abnormality to you know progress forward um with the norms that we have uh, incorporate best of both worlds we it's this reconfiguration and reflection of uh what's been what's normalized and what we want to achieve with society that uh is more important than us actually falling into the expectation of following the norms every single day but i think another important example is lying right we all lie it's known that we you know we lie about 12 times a day perhaps more um on average but if lying is something that we do naturally or if it's something that is considered normalized behavior because most people do it um why do we still teach our kids to never lie right like why why is why is this idea of honesty so prevalent in society i understand that it is sort of something that is needed in society so that we progress as in ethically and morally and you know you're, you're with integrity but it should be addressed that lying is actually the normalized behavior and in this case we are approving of the abnormal those are great norms that you talked about and one norm that i have been thinking about recently and i've i've been thinking about this a lot because some of my friends now are graduating and what i said to them was imagine this for the first time in your lives you'll not be a student for the first time in your lives you'll not be told what to do the norm that i'm talking about is this upbringing of an quote average child a average child starts their lives of up till age 3 years they basically sleep all the time then they start going to play school then they enter elementary school then progress to middle school high school go to college and then maybe get a go to grad school get a phd and finally work the rest of their life and the idea of a child not going through this progression of schools is somehow abnormal this idea of oh, why are you not going to college like what's wrong maybe some people don't want to read the material and or read all the material maybe some people don't want to fulfill that genetic requirement and just focus on that one field that they 
truly and utterly enjoy and uh, both of us have had conversations about the education system before and why why it is flawed in its own ways uh perhaps maybe by going to college recruiters are trying to see that well here's a place you went every day of your life for four years every day did most if not all of the tasks that you were told to do mostly on time so maybe when you come to the job market and when you work for our organization you will show up every day on time and do the work so is this high school system working or is it not working is it working for the majority or normal population but at the same time it's deteriorating the not majority quote abnormal population yeah and i think that's a great point to bring up because um you dressing up in your school uniform every single day for i don't know 12 years straight of your life uh in in the form of school and then you wearing slightly better trousers and slightly more expensive shirts with ties and working a 9 to 5 that means you've conformed to the norms of society and one of the last few hopefully long lasting thoughts that i'd like to leave for our listeners after the podcast is to what extent does norms and normalization lead to conformity and whether that conformity to society is worth your freedom finally i want you all listeners to think about what are some of these norms that are so inherent in you, you that you don't even think about them and now that you're thinking about them because i just pointed them out do you think you should still conform to them or were they just deep rooted in you and you have been following them mindlessly with that i wish you guys have a great rest of your day uh, or night if you're listening to it in the evening and uh, i'll see you guys in the next one